0: Welcome back to Diversity Be Like. It's Sequoia and I'm here with my very special guest, Dr. Bernadette P. Smith.
1: Hey,
0: Sequoia. Hello. (laughs) Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Love it. Dr. Smith is a licensed professional counselor and supervisor and nationally certified counselor in the great state of Texas. She's the owner and head clinician of Aspen Counseling and Wellness, where she provides mental health counseling to help people heal so they can obtain the love that they want. And in addition to all of that, she also teaches graduate level counseling courses and has served as a director over a university counseling center and volunteers at a local nonprofit that advocates for survivors of crime. Welcome so much. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: No, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. And I'm, I'm very honored to be on this amazing podcast.
0: Oh, I also have to say uh, two things. One, Dr. Smith is one of my dear friends from college. So I'm super excited about this conversation. Go We've come, go kooks. <laughs> We've come <laughs> so far from then. It's Crazy to think that in those two years since we've graduated, (laughs) yeah, it's
1: it's been two. It feels like it's only been a year and a half.
0: Right, right. We've accomplished so so much (laughs) in both of those years. Um, (laughs) So yeah, and also it's important to note that the views expressed in this episode are her own, and that we're not sharing anything that can be construed as medical advice. But it is important information, and I do hope that you're able to learn and take away from it. All right. Well, Dr. Smith, Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started.
1: So it's funny, right? Because people are like, well, how did you become a counselor? So it really started in my days at U of H. I was an English major because Mm -hmm. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I went to the school I graduated from from high school was a minority school, right? And what I found was there weren't a lot of teachers that really fed into us. And so I wanted to be one of those people that fed into people. Mm-hmm. But then I realized teaching wasn't for me. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I learned before I actually jumped into the profession, my mentor at U of H would tell me, why are you an English major? You need to be in health professions or mental health. and." I started doing advocacy on campus for mental health and doing different workshops surrounding drinking and and stress management. And it just kind of grew from there. Mm -hmm. Um, I found my home, uh, my graduate home at Texas Southern University, and it just felt natural. Um, It felt like a natural fit to me to be able to uncover some of these patterns that are preventing us seeking out that healing or that growth or that clarity that we all are looking for in our life.
0: Absolutely. You know, what's really funny is my undergraduate degree from U of H is in psychology. And so I always <laughs> assumed that I was going to go into therapy. And they say that taking abnormal psychology is the class that will make or break you. And that's the one that should be like, oh eh, no. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Abnormal but, psych is not for the weak. It's not it is.
0: It, it's not at all. I think the thing that stopped me, though, was the idea. I wanted to do child psychology, and it was the idea of just hearing what's going on with children and feeling like I would carry that yes. with me and not yeah. really being able to put it down in the way that I would need to to be able to be successful in that career. I felt like I would have gotten burned out. And so for me, it wasn't at that time a good fit. But no, I'm I get really, it because really... I thought
1: I wanted to work with children, too. And that's one of the mm. things they, they talk to us about when we get into the program is you have to find what population you want to work with. And mm-hmm. I knew if I was working with children, I would carry that as well, yeah. which is odd because I work with adults who have childhood traumas. And it, and I don't hold that like I would if a child was telling me about their trauma in that present moment.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes too it might be that it for me. I think it would feel like it's over and now we can work through it, right? Whereas mm-hmm. the trauma going on because even I've been a big sister with big brothers, big sister. I've I sat on a jury for and that role had to be an advocate for it, a, a young girl who. Went through something. And I mean, even those, like it was hard for me because they're actively going through that, right? And trying to protect them from the things that they're actively experiencing. I think that part for me would have been the the trickiest part. So how about this? You also started a directory where patients can find mental health professionals. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I've been in both on both sides of the chair, right? Both as a client. Um, and then also as a provider and one of the things that I recognized and working with some of the people that I've worked with is they are really trying to seek out and find a clinician of color and it's and it's tough to try to find that clinician of color and so at the height of the racial unrest that we were experiencing after Floyd's murder I was like, you know what, let me go ahead and, and reach out to some of my local colleagues and put this guide together, just letting people know like there are people here that can support you. There are people here that understand, and you don't have to kind of struggle alone. You can reach out to, to a clinician. And it really blew up in a way that I wasn't expecting. And so I'm actually looking at expanding it to be more inclusive. I'm going to start with inclusive people in Texas. One okay. of the things that the pandemic has created is created a um, comfortability with telehealth. Mm-hmm. So then what that does is then it opens it up to being able to find and have access to more clinicians than what somebody might have been able to prior to this comfort level with video, right? So let's say somebody is in a small town, they can do telehealth and and find a clinician, a Black clinician that resonates with them versus struggling and not having that or or selecting somebody that may not fit with their particular needs.
0: Right. And I think that's so important. I recently, when I was living in Los Angeles before I was working with a woman who, with a therapist, Black woman. And I just felt like there were certain things that I didn't have to explain to her that she just yep. kind of got, that she understood. Yep. And it made it easier to not have to, in some ways, explain my humanity. But in a lot of ways, just under, explain the things that I go through on a day-to-day. I recently signed up for BetterHelp. And it's it was interesting I asked very specifically for a practitioner of color, and they connected me with a white man from Iowa. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sure he's great. But one, just reading his bio, reading the things that, you know, his experiences, it just didn't resonate with me. And then I also was like, he's in middle America. He's not, you know, there are so many different things that like he just might not understand just from my perspective. And so I asked to be reassigned to somebody else. I'm sure he's a great therapist. And I think Mm -hmm. the biggest reason also was that there were going to be, I think, two or three weeks before I would have even been been able to meet with him. And it's like, well, and I kind of want to start sooner. Wound up getting matched with still a a man, um, which is interesting um, having that, right? Because I've always had female counselors that I've worked with older Black man, feels very uh, nurturing and almost, you know, like okay. like a grandfatherly type, but he's an entrepreneur. He okay. is in California, in Los Angeles, where I am. So he's familiar with working with actors. So there's just a lot that goes into his experience that he can directly relate to me and he can say things that make sense. That, resonates. that yeah. resonate. You know, like I was telling him about A challenge that I was having with one of my clients. And he was like, well, have you thought about just firing them? Right. And it was a tricky conversation, but he understood it not just from a, it's making you feel bad. Don't deal with them. But from a, I understand what it means to fire a client. I've had to do it. Here's what I've experienced. And walking through that in a way that really made sense, but also understood The being a minority-owned business and what that looks like, and the challenges that come with getting clients in the first place. So there was just a lot that went into that, and it was really great to be able to find somebody that I that really resonated. So I'm really excited about the directory that you have, and I think that others will really greatly benefit from that as well because they'll be able to see the information that's that can help them make a decision.
1: There's a lot of great directories, right? that are trying to do just that is, is connect. And mm-hmm. like there's melanin and mental health, there's therapy for black girls, right? There's tons of different directories. And, and I even have that listed in the one that I created. But for me, what I wanted to do different is I wanted to make it free mm-hmm. for all, cl- all black clinicians to sign up for, mm-hmm. just because I didn't want cost to be a barrier, especially for newer clinicians, to be able to be seen on the directory Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because again, then it's creating like another barrier to providing access because it's, and just hearing you say like they matched you with somebody in a completely other state is just mind boggling to me because you're supposed to be licensed in the state in which you're providing therapy, not to mention you asked for, you know, a different clinician and I get it. I remember having a clinician and she was really great, but I just felt like there were some things that I wasn't able to completely open up about mm-hmm. because like, if I'm talking about frustrations in my marriage, it felt weird to talk to a white woman about my black husband when we're, mm. when we are culturally taught, don't talk bad about your black men to others.
0: Right. You know, so then. Right.
1: It it really created this barrier. And it's funny because I was kind of being client and clinician. And so she would say something, she was like, Oh, it sounds like blah blah blah. And and then I would defend them. And I'm like, no, this isn't what this is, right? And so I was defending them from a from a client standpoint because I felt like she wasn't culturally understanding what I was trying to say. But then from a clinician standpoint, I was like, oh my gosh. She's probably thinking that I'm defending him and that I'm not allowing him to be accountable and that I'm not, you know, versus right. having somebody that just truly, truly gets it. And, and that's one of the things I tell people. I'm big on analogies. Right. And so have you ever tried on shoes and they didn't fit? Right. Right. Yeah. Did you just did you just stop wearing shoes? Like, no, you didn't. Be like, <laughs> oh, that shoe doesn't fit. So I'm just going to like not wear shoes the rest of my life. like. You try on another pair until you find what works and I, and it's it can be exhausting, you know. Yeah. But yeah. you can definitely interview your your potential counselor to see if they're a good fit. A lot of counselors offer offer free consultations. You can read up on their bios. And if it's not connecting with you, if they're not connecting with you, switch. Like seriously switch.
0: I so the woman that I worked with before, it's interesting because People can be, they can still be good, but they can be not what you need at the time, right? Right. So the first lady that I went to, I actually went to couples counseling. That's how I found out about her. And once we broke up, I continued to go to her. Um, And I was like, okay, it's easier because I don't have to re-explain everything and all of that. But I found her to be a bit abrasive at that particular time. And that wasn't what I needed at that Mm -hmm. time. So I found another therapist. I went to her, but she was very mushy and very like, oh, that must be so hard for you. And that must, and it was just like, OK, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so I wound up eventually going back to the first therapist and just kind of a, we talked and she asked me why I left and she was able to adjust. Um, so I think that's another important thing, too, is having those conversations so that they can know like these are things that we can work on together and this is what you need. Absolutely. And and
1: I think because there is a
0: like a power dynamic there, you know,
1: sometimes and especially so I worked at a college center for years. And so one, I am a doctor and I mean, I'm only two years out of college So that makes me (laughs) 23, I don't know, but still older than the 21 year old sitting in my chair. Right. But it really created a power dynamic. And I would have to give them permission to be authentic, right? Like give them permission to say what they needed to say. And they would curse. I'm like, it's okay. This is your space. I've heard curse words before. (laughs)
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can say that's going to make me clutch my pearls. Like, so long as you don't try to track my mama down and hit her in her face, we are good. Like, there's nothing, (laughs) this is your space. And what I would do is I would always give them permission to tell me if I'm wrong. Mm. And because while you're seeing a mental health provider and they're the expert in their field, they're not an expert of you. Exactly. And I think that's what people have to recognize. And since that clinician is not an expert of you, for you to have the freedom and the capability to be like, no, you got that wrong, or no, you misunderstood me, or uh, I'm needing something a little different. Because then what that does is it allows y'all to course correct if you need to, or it allows the clinician to be like, you know what, I'm I don't have that skill set, let me help refer you. Right. And so when I would have students who are graduating from the institution, I would oftentimes teach them how to advocate for themselves and teach them how to find a clinician um, on their own, which is so important, is scary. Yeah, It can be really intimidating and scary and overwhelming sometimes.
0: It's really tricky. And then even with the idea of pushing back, I think, I know one of the things that I learned in grad school was the idea of listening. And so, I mean, I think you learn that in life too, but it's just, it's a different idea of just sitting back and really listening, really understanding what somebody's saying and then not being defensive or feeling defensive. And I think sometimes what'll happen, and and I've noticed it even recently, um, is that he'll say, I think such and such and such. And again, like you said, I'm an expert on Sequoia. You know, he may be an expert in his field, but nobody knows Sequoia like I know Sequoia, right? And so there are times where I have to push back, but then it's like, you don't want to get to, you start to feel weird about pushing back too much, right? Like, well, I don't want to make him feel like I'm saying everything he's saying is wrong or all of these different things are like feel like I'm being argumentative. And I think that's also something that happens in our community. I think we're we're that's the socialization maybe that we have as well and maybe possibly even a barrier with mental health, right? And getting the the level of care that we need. So, but I think recognizing that is important. And just knowing that you have the, the right to push back when you need to.
1: And it's so tough, right? So sometimes when, and especially like my experience working with young adults, right? And sending them like, you know what? We've been working together for a long time. I think that there might be something deeper, right? Like, let's look at getting a formal diagnosis so that we can look at if medication is something that would be beneficial, right? Which is scary Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, I get. And so those who did decide that they wanted to explore the medication route, I would really have to coach them in terms of what they need to say so that they can advocate for themselves appropriately. And then sometimes they would come back feeling defeated because they felt as if the psychiatrist wasn't listening to them. And that's what I experienced a lot when we would have people who would go to these mental health authorities in the area. Because, and sometimes they are used to this cookie cutter thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so they come back and they're like, oh, well, they gave me a bipolar diagnosis. I'm like, okay, gosh. All right. So when you go back, let's say these things, right? Because oftentimes, especially with our men, that I experienced is they would get misdiagnosed
2: because
1: Mm. anger, right? Like you think about men in general and men are taught to suppress their emotions, suck it up. Mm -hmm. Don't Mm -hmm. cry. Don't this. So some men never truly learn how to, and women of course, right? But women oftentimes are socialized differently to be able to express their emotions. But when you're, when you don't know how to express them, Sometimes it can be internalized and manifest as anger or aggression. Mm, mm-hmm. And so then what we would find sometimes is, is some of the men who might be struggling with depression, they would get diagnosed as bipolar disorder mm-hmm. because it would manifest as anger
2: mm-hmm.
1: versus kind of those typical isolation or crying or not being motivated to do things. so. Being able to, and, and they would come back feeling defeated sometimes. And I would be so mm. defeated sometimes as well. Because it's like, okay, now what do we do given the financial constraints that this person has as well?
0: Mm. And so that's, that's really interesting that you say that too. Because, so I was looking at an article that from the University of Southern California that talked about the fact that one in six Americans suffer from a diagnosable, treatable mental health condition, but that a lot of times minority groups are more likely to experience the risk factors that cause these diseases. And so in this situation, one of the things that you're talking about is, you know, there's also socialization, right? Where they're not allowed to, people aren't, sometimes allowed to feel. So that can manifest itself in different ways and lead to the things like depression and anxiety and all of those things. But then there are those barriers, right? Like you talked about with one being misdiagnosed, but also the financial aspect of it. Um, There are some insurance plans that don't really cover the level of mental health that's needed. What are some things that I guess let's talk about some of the additional barriers that you might have seen and experienced through your patients. And also what are some ways that we can work to overcome those barriers?
1: So I'm like, where do I begin? And you know what? I'm going <laughs> to go with my gut. So you know what? One of the barriers are family. Mm. Like we can talk like absolutely cost and insurance and transportation and feeling is like the stigma and the discrimination attached to it. But sometimes one of those barriers, both with young adults and my adult populations, right, is the stigma that their families have attached to seeking mental health. Mm-hmm. And that then becomes a part of their inner thought, right, mm-hmm. which then prevents mm-hmm. them from seeking out help sooner. And then even sometimes they'll be excited about seeking out mental health and the growth that they're having. And so then they'll want to share it with their family. Like, oh, hey, I've been seeing my counselor and I've grown in this, this and that. And then they receive this like negative ridicule sometimes. And then it defeats them. And then we have to talk about boundaries and how even though they're family, it doesn't mean that they should have those access to those parts of you. So that is definitely one but. The, the frustrating thing, and, and so now I'm speaking from like a clinical standpoint, because we hear so much about cost being a barrier mm-hmm. and absolutely cost is a barrier and access to insurance is a barrier. But one of the things I get a lot of people who are asking me, like, hey, do you have a referral? Yeah, I do. I know some really great clinicians, but some of these great clinicians are what's considered private pay.
2: They yeah. don't accept
1: insurance. Mm-hmm. And that's because insurance reimburses counselors at like a piss poor rate in some instances. Mm. And so they're getting a fraction of what they what their worth is. Um, And so they have to eat as well. You have bills to pay as well. Right. But then it is then eliminating a, a segment of clinicians from being able to help even more people. Right. And so then really looking at creating legis- legislation that is saying, yeah, we need to pay clinicians equally, right? So as a licensed professional counselor, I, in some insurances, will not get reimbursed the same rate as a licensed clinical social worker, even though we provide the same skill set, mm. right? So then we, we have this inequality in pay, which then... Makes counselors be like, OK, well, what is what is the point uh, of doing this if I'm not going to be paid my work? Right. So there's there's that piece, both on the the person seeking, but then also on the clinician side and then just feeling like, is it really going to work? Right. Like so. So it's twofold. We minimize in general, like people will tend to minimize. And then also, like, let's think of some of the things we hear growing up, pray about it, give it to God. Yes. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. the myth of the strong black woman. Yeah. And which is so detrimental to our community. So then anything that we might be experiencing, we're just like, well, I'm strong or I'm taught to be strong. So let me just keep on trucking. when the reality of it is some of our counterparts who have been had access to mental health services, seek out that mental health support for just life in general. And then right. here we are getting beat down and tore down and beat down and tore down. And like, nope, let me just keep on trucking on because my issue isn't that big of an issue compared to what somebody else might be going through. Or if doesn't. I
0: had enough faith and just prayed hard enough, it'll go away. And it's not going away. So that just means I don't have enough faith.
1: Yep. Okay. Yep, absolutely. And so here's the analogy that I use all the time. If you broke your leg, would you just pray over it and have faith that God would fix it? No. Yeah. You are going to go to the hospital. You are going to get that surgery. Now, you may pray that you have amazing surgeons. Right. right? You may pray for a speedy recovery. You may pray for amazing nurses. Right. But you going to go get that. That leg fixed.
0: Right. You'll get the help that you need. Yeah. Right. And
1: so we have to recognize it's the same thing. And so sometimes, and you can find a clinician that's going to integrate your spiritual base, your faith base into therapy. Right. So I have some clients who their faith base is very important to them. And there have been times when they were like, do you have like, a main line to god because when i went to church when i went to synagogue or i went to temple the the past priest rabbi whomever said this and this is exactly what you said in session and so it can just reaffirm what was discussed right and and so i think it just becomes so important that there doesn't have to be this separation there can be this integration of those two and it doesn't have to be one or the other
0: I agree. I think also having people be more open about the fact that they've gone to therapy, right? And I try to be more open about it, even myself when talking to friends or whatever. And it does feel weird. It feels different when I'm having a conversation and I'm telling somebody I want to go see my physical trainer, right? To go work out versus, oh, I want to go see my therapist. Because there is this idea of, well, what's wrong with you that you need to go see a therapist and are you crazy and all that? And it's not that. And like you said, it's not even the big things. Like some of it was, I was just stressed out with work, stressed out with all that I had going on. And I felt like there was this ball of yarn that I needed to help untangle. And I was so busy with everything that I was doing that I didn't have time to untangle it. Um, mm-hmm. The people that I know, they're so proud of me and so happy for all that I'm doing that like I'll tell them, oh, you know, I'm really stressed out or whatever. And they're like, you've got this. You can do this, girl. You've right. got this. And it's like uh, I'm not saying thank I you don't. for believing. Thank you for yeah. believing in me. I
1: <laughs> yeah. appreciate that. However, I'm yeah. about to burn out. Like
0: yes, yeah, and not all of it is like you know. Some of the stuff that he says too is super simple. Like I was really, really like I started to feel like I was kind of falling into depression, and I was, but I think I was just burned out, right? And I was like, I think I'm a little depressed. We talked through it, and he was like, Well, what are you doing about your acting? And I was just like, I mean, I'm, well, but I said, I, cause I was going to call, I, I was going to do something and uh, he was like, um. eh, you need to start working on that. And that's a simple conversation. And that might even be one. That a friend would have said, but it was just different. It was different because he was able to look at it from everything. And everything that I'd Mm -hmm. been telling him. And not just saying it from a, oh, I know she likes to act. Let me say that to be supportive, right? Because it's not just about being supportive. It's like you said, being objective, looking at everything and making that making those connections.
1: And and that's and and you said it right, like it's making those connections. And so my goal when I'm working with people is, and my husband teases me and says, I have a bad business model. <laughs> and maybe you will like scold me and be like, oh my God, you have a bad business model. So <laughs> you are like coming from a marketing standpoint. Um, <laughs> but my goal is to work myself out of a job, right? Because ultimately I want to equip all of my clients with the tools and the skills that they need so that if they encounter something in their life, they can apply those same things. Right. right. Now, it doesn't mean they don't come back for tune ups and checkups and all of that stuff. But you to have the ability to sit back and be like, OK, I'm feeling I'm noticing these things about myself. Last time I noticed this, I noticed I was on the verge of burnout. What are some things that work for me whenever I'm burnt out? Oh, right. I, I need to integrate exercising again or, oh, I have slacked off on my acting or my writing or filling the dots because we so often will put all of those things that bring us joy to the back burner Mm. and not fill our cup with the things that actually feed and nourish us. Right. I I think I liken it to, all right, so I don't, I don't eat meat anymore. Mm, Not really. Like I will eat my turkey on Thanksgiving because I make great turkey. (laughs) But when I was transitioning from eating meat, like I remember one day I was hungry and I went to go get McDonald's, right? So it it met a need because I was hungry, mm-hmm. but then I felt like crap afterwards. Mm. And so I was like, why do I keep on doing this to myself? It's truly not fueling me the way I want to be fueled. So when I was trying to be more conscientious, I was like, okay, I'm only going to eat two I'm only going to eat meat two times a week. So then I became very strategic and conscientious about like the quality and and everything that I ate. And it didn't negatively impact me like a fast food burger. And we do that so often in our lives to where it's like, oh, I'm feeling stressed. Let me recharge. But then we just watch Netflix and there's nothing wrong with Netflix. Right. But we'll just like let a TV watch us or scroll through social media. Versus really tapping in and finding out what is that grade A state that is actually going to fulfill me and sustain me and give me joy. And yeah, it might take a little bit more effort, right? So for me, it's crafting. So if I'm like, okay, let me go pull out my alcohol inks and make a mug, it might take a little bit more time. But afterwards, I'm feeling like so fulfilled and being able to find what that joy piece is for you really makes a difference in terms of feeding your overall self.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. I know that with all of this, uh, one of the great ironies of it is that the people that are needed to kind of support some of these things, which are the therapists, are not trusted by the communities (laughs) that need them most, right? Right. We talked a little bit about just kind of being open and honest about it, you know, just as people talking to each other about their being in therapy. We talked about the impact family has on that journey as well. What are some other things that you think we can do to better align therapists and those who need therapy so that that trust is restored and so that people can feel more comfortable reaching out and getting the help that they need?
1: So one of the things, so multiculturalism is built into our Code of Ethics. Okay. Um, And so it talks about the importance of being a multicultural counselor, being aware of various backgrounds and cultural backgrounds so that we can better meet those needs. Various programs, right? All programs are going to also include that multicultural component into the program. Okay. So there's that. So there is... On the profession standpoint, um, the push to include that, and especially seeing kind of this racial divide that you sometimes see occur, or well, not, something that we see occur in in our nation. What I find among the counselors and the different groups I'm a part of is they pull each other to the carpet, like okay, they'll say something that may not be culturally aligned or culturally insensitive. And they pull them to the carpet and and tell them like, no, this is not in line with who we are supposed to be as mental health professionals. And so that is exciting to see. The other thing I think it just really becomes important is recognizing you can, as somebody who is seeking out somebody, advocate for yourself and, and be like, no, I don't want that person. -hmm. Even if you're even if you're in a clinic-based setting, right, where they just kind of assign you a counselor, is recognizing even if they just assign you a counselor, if this counselor doesn't feel as if it's a good fit, you can ask to be reassigned, right? Mm -hmm. But then also being able to utilize what we have in terms of kind of this access to this telemental health piece to where we can kind of reach outside of our our regional or local communities to find somebody that might be available and accessible someplace else in the state that may not have been
0: before. So just really taking the time to actually seek out what you might need Mm -hmm. and understanding that there are things that are working on the back end to support the overall needs of multicultural Mm -hmm. aspects in therapy.
1: And you can you can interview your counselor a lot of mm-hmm. counselors provide free consultations and so you can have a you can have a counselor and ask them okay well what is your you know experience or training in multiculturalism or what is your understanding you know in in this particular group or community that you're a part of or as if, so if let's say you are going to be seen out a, a clinician who is from a different cultural background as yourself, asking them, how do you integrate my perspective? Mm-hmm. Or how do you address whatever worldviews or biases you might have to ensure that I'm on the path that I, that I need for my life? These are mm-hmm. all questions that you can ask your clinician. And here's the thing, I feel I. A clinician that is is aligned in the manner to which they need to be, they're not gonna be insulted by these questions.
0: Yeah, I and, had a, I have a really dear friend of mine who had dealt with some trauma and was looking for a clinician that was specific that had that specific experience. And she did exactly what you said. She went through the process of reaching out to different clinicians and doing an interview and and trying to see if they fit. And one particular one reached back out to her. And it was interesting because it was a Black woman and she was excited about the idea of, oh, maybe this will be a good fit. And the woman reached back out and was like, I can already tell from you doing all this that it ain't gonna work. And she was just very nasty. And she really turned things around on my friend to the point that my friend. Almost retreated and was like, "Well, I don't know if this is is for me or whatever." And thankfully, we were able to talk, and I was able to tell her that person just isn't the one. But this mm-hmm. is not how everybody is, and she wound up, you know, thankfully continuing her pursuit and actually found another counselor. And actually, it's, it's a white woman, so it's not somebody mm-hmm. that looks like her, but is also somebody that. From a, just what she needed emotionally, she was able to better connect with them and some of the others that she was looking for. Um, And I think that's important as well. But just remembering that there's nothing wrong with you seeking this. And like you said, somebody who's the right person and the right fit for what you need is not going to get offended (laughs) by you Mm -hmm. seeking that.
1: Because every counselor isn't for everybody. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that doesn't mean that that counselor skill set isn't where it needs to be. And it doesn't mean that your concerns are too great for that particular counselor. It's just everybody has a fit. Mm -hmm. And I hate that that happened to your friend. But on the other side of it, I'm like, oh, she dodged a bullet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's great that she found out at the onset instead of sitting in that person's chair and having to go through whatever she would have gone through dealing with Mm -hmm. that person.
1: And I know it sounds like so taxing, about, oh, my God, I got to go interview all these counselors. But here's the thing. When you're interviewing, right, or doing a consultation or reading up on them, you don't have to do deep dives into what's going on with you, right? It can just be very surface. Hey, I'm having issues adjusting to life as a mom and working full time? What is your experience or how do you approach? Right. Like, so you don't have to go into detail, but just kind of a cliff notes version that doesn't feel Mm -hmm. emotionally taxing and draining.
0: You know what? Let's talk about that for a minute. So you mentioned a little bit ago that in our community, we tend to feel like in order to get therapy, we have to be going through the absolute most. Right. But what are some things that you can say? You know, these are things that are okay to get there before as well that aren't so extreme?
1: Uh, life.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> life. All right. So one, I think we have to make the distinction between mental health, mental wellness, right? And mental illness, right? Okay. And so once we start to recognize, okay, there are some people, right, who are seeking out services because they might have a diagnosable mental illness, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and there might be some people that might have symptoms of anxiety or depression that may not meet all of the criteria for diagnosis, right? So being able to distinguish that, because then when we're looking at it from the standpoint of mental health, mental wellness, then what that then does is I think it then opens up a a wider window. So for Mm -hmm. example, transitions, life transitions. So if you are transitioning from one job to another and you have some feelings of anxiety or imposter syndrome, seek out support. I I had somebody who was having struggles in their job um, because of the dynamics that were playing out in their job. and they had like maybe five sessions total before we were able to work through and identify the solutions and they had met their needs. Mm. Communication, right? So if you're struggling with communicating with a partner, with a boss, with a colleague, with a friend, right? It doesn't have to be these big things. It could just be these touching pieces where you're like, okay, let me go and touch in and get the support almost like you're supposed to go and get your oil changed Mm -hmm. right you go and do this oil change so that your car can continue to function as it needs to versus waiting until the engine seizes up because there's no oil in it Right. right and so I think and the other piece of it is sometimes this idea of there has to be something wrong to me, I think is rooted in how insurance reimburses for sessions. But then that then becomes, okay, everybody, especially with the pandemic, has some type of adjustment disorder going on, right? Adjusting to transitioning from being a, a single person to a married person. Or not having children to having children, it's from one job to another, or a promotion, or your dog died, and it's hard for you to process that. Like it doesn't have to be these big catastrophic type events. And one of the things that I think is so important to note is one time I had a leak in my ceiling,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, "Is that water in my ceiling?" I I wanted to just close my eyes and, and ignore it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I kept on hearing the drip and I was like, okay, Bernadette, you cannot just close your eyes and, and ignore this water that is building up in the ceiling. Like, let's address it now. And me addressing that leak in the ceiling and getting the plumber out to fix the leak saved me thousands and thousands of dollars in headache, right? Versus if I would have just closed my eyes to it and then my whole living room would have been a pool of water. Right. right. And you
0: had to get your whole roof fixed and right. all of that. Now I got to yeah. get
1: the whole thing fixed and the floors and the furniture, like all of the things. And so I think if we start to look at mental health as I'm starting to notice that it's more challenging for me to navigate life mm-hmm. or for me to stay focused or I'm ruminating or I'm noticing that I am not the person that I know myself to be or I want myself to be, go and get that support before it comes to a place to where it becomes more challenging to address and course correct.
0: Yeah, I know even um, back to your point about the pandemic, I was sitting here one day and I was like, I don't even remember what I used to do for fun before the pandemic because I've had a year and a half at this point where I've just, I work from home, I watch TV and then I watched Netflix or I watched Hallmark channel and it's like those were things that they're enjoyable but it becomes less so when that's all that you do right and then it was like what do I do and that I don't necessarily want to go out but then I feel like I should do something else cuz I'm kind of sometimes a little bit bored or lonely or whatever and I think even those are things that you know, trying to remember what you used to do or trying to figure out, well, what's next? What's mm-hmm. next for me? I think that's really important.
1: Absolutely. And and sometimes, and here's the thing, right? Sometimes you're able to arrive to that conclusion on your own. Right. Sometimes you're able to arrive to that conclusion by talking to trusted friends. But then other times having that clinician that is trained to help you connect the dot can really help you connect that dot a whole lot quicker.
0: Right,
1: Then trying to figure out on your own as well, right, and giving yourself that permission to be like, "I don't have to have all the answers all the time, and that's okay too, and practicing that self compassion and giving yourself what you need, because I think sometimes people it's very interesting our society, right like the u s is tends to be more of an individualistic type mm-hmm. place, um so it's very like me and what can I do right mm-hmm. but then. When it comes to self-care, that individualistic concept doesn't apply. It's like, oh, I can't take vacation because I have Mm. to do this, or I can't do this thing for myself that I know is good because I have to do this. And that guilt of taking care of ourselves really starts to seep in, which is so interesting. Um, So really giving ourselves permission to feed into ourselves. How important
0: that is I, you know, in marketing, we I went to this global marketing summit a while ago, and they talked about that like from a different standpoint. But how, as Americans, we have this whole Horatio outer aspect of life, and it's pulling yourself up from the bootstraps. and it's about success and making sure that success and and the importance of that is the most important thing, and it it supersedes everything else, right? And I think that's part of why we constantly feel like we have to work all the time and we have to do all of these things that focus on achievement, but not necessarily our own personal interests. Because if our own personal interests don't lead to that level of achievement and attainment, then it's not okay, right? And then you look at other cultures and a lot of them have more of a balance. Some of them focus more on mental acuity. So success is important, but it's because you were able to, it wasn't just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps by working super hard. It was because you were able to think smarter and not work harder. And so then that leads you to, if I'm able to think harder or think smarter, that saves me time and I can spend more time with family and things like that. So it's interesting when you look at it from that standpoint as well.
1: One of the things that stood out to me and. in, in And so if let's say we were in a session, I'd be like, okay, well, what does achievement mean to you, Mm. right? What does success mean for you? What does it look like for you? Because as you're saying, like, oh, I have to, I have to achieve. What does that even mean for you? Mm -hmm. And then what, what thoughts, emotions, what, what have we attached to that? And, And oftentimes what we find is this notion of achievement or this notion of success isn't even really rooted in what's authentic for ourselves.
0: That's really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask this What are some positive changes that you've seen in the mental health space as it relates to diversity, as it relates to the communities that you work with um, mm-hmm. since you've been in? I, I know you've only, again, been in this space for two years. Um, yeah, it's, but... only been, it's only <laughs> been
1: two years since I've been in this space. I mean, <laughs> I got my master's and my doctorate at rocket speed, you know? Um, So, yeah. So I don't have a depth knowledge on on the aspect. So one of the things that is super cool that I'm seeing is there are more men reaching out for Mm. services. And that is super exciting. I love it. Like, I love seeing, especially seeing our Black men reach out for help. And that is cool. To that point. Right. So from when I was working on the college campus, I always tell people I give a disclaimer. Right. And I say everything we talk about in our sessions remains here. So harm, all that is something very different. But if I see you outside of this office, I'm not going to initiate conversation. It's not because I'm funny acting. It's not because I don't want to say hi. It's just I want to protect your privacy. Right. Mm-hmm. You can initiate conversation, but it's not coming from me. Right, because I'm not gonna be like, oh hey, Sequoia, how's that depression going? Like I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna keep on walking unless you acknowledge me because again, I want you to feel comfortable and safe. So when I first started working on the college campus and I would walk the yard and I would see a student and they just kind of like head down and just keep on walking in their in their group of friends. No acknowledgement, which whatever, I don't care. But then as time went on, I would be walking and they were like, hey, hey, y'all, that's Dr. Smith. That's the counselor I've told you about that I've been seeing. Y'all need to go see her, too. She's great. And I had another colleague say they were doing a presentation and one of the students stood up in this auditorium of kids and was like, that's my counselor. Y'all need to go see her. It's been great. And so what, what I'm seeing is people are becoming more comfortable talking about mental health Mm. and not just among these younger populations, but even in, I mean, I don't even know how to say it like our population because we are the younger population. I don't know, like our generation (laughs) of people, the generation above us, they're talking more about mental health and what that looks like. And it's so important. And being able to have those conversations gives others permission to have those conversations or gives others permission to to seek out that help. And just being honest and transparent and being like, yeah, I, I saw it and it was helpful.
0: Nice. Nice. I like that. I like the idea that more people are talking about it and more people are feeling comfortable and safe. And I think that's going to be the thing that gets rid of that stigma. And that's mm-hmm. going to be the thing that gets more people in. What are some things that you wish to see happen in the mental health field or in your career as a therapist that would make you feel like your mission is complete? Mission complete. So, one, I, I wish that insurance companies
1: didn't have so much control over the access of mental health because I feel like, one, if there was equal pay, Across mental health professions, mm-hmm. if there was competitive rates, mm-hmm. then I think what we would see is more people wanting to get into the field so that they can help, right? Or be able to take on insurance clients. And so, what that would then do is it would just increase access to other communities. Um, yeah. The other piece, again, this is also coming from more profession side right now our profession is working on like national portability of license which is great we need that um, each state right now is kind of setting their own licensure standards and they're trying to standardize that which is great um, mm-hmm. however what that then looks like is when we have institutions like hbcus that are offering these mental health degrees if they are then not able to obtain the accreditation that's required to license so that people can ultimately get licensed. And what we're gonna see is this elimination of programs that Mm. are feeding into the diversity of clinicians, right? Or the ability to speak towards the cultural differences That may that others may not, because having received my counseling degree from an HBCU, cultural multiculturalism is embedded in every single course, not just the one multicultural course that we have to take to get licensed. Like it's embedded in the whole program, and so I think that that then what becomes important, even outside of squeezing out the, the potential squeeze out of hbcus and minority serving institutions but then also it's looking at what can other institutions do to embed multiculturalism into every aspect of their program because what we have to then do that becomes so important is make sure that these clinicians recognize their worldview and the lens that they're looking through mm-hmm. so then that way they are then not imposing their belief systems, their worldviews on the clients in which they're serving.
0: That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So I'm going to ask you my favorite question. I look forward to your answer. <laughs> <laughs> when you think of Dr. Bernadette P. Smith, what do you want your lasting legacy to be?
1: So this is interesting, right? Because I look at it from two different lenses. Yes, I'm a mental health professional, um, but I am a mother, sister, wife, a daughter, a friend, right? And so for me, when I think about my legacy, I kind of think it supersedes that professionalism component for me. And so when I think about my legacy, I think ultimately the integration of it might be that I gave my permission, I gave myself permission to Live authentically, right? I gave myself permission to practice compassion for myself, thereby I gave others permission to do the same. Mm. Um, And so I think ultimately that's what I would want is people saying, Yep, being around Bernadette Smith, Dr. Bernadette P. Smith, right, allowed me the freedom to tap into who it was to be authentically me.
0: I love that. And you know what? I think you're doing a great job of that. I think of some of the conversations that we have just in general and just looking at things from different standpoints and whatever, and you always bring such a unique perspective and you allow room for others to share their perspectives as well. You allow room for me to share my perspective and for us to just have really great conversations. So thank you for that.
1: I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's the thing that's so important, right? It's this Sometimes it can be the slippery slope of wanting to understand other people's perspective, but then also not wanting to insult them um, Mm -hmm. in doing so. Um, And so I appreciate the conversations that we've been able to have um, and being able to share authentically, because, again, we are um, both young women (laughs)
0: very young like very like, like barely even adults
1: bar- I mean what are bills okay I don't even know how to crack an egg at this point point. and so but even though we're both very young women just graduating from U of H and getting our graduate degrees and being Black women in America like we still have different cultural backgrounds and different ways of understanding because we have different life experiences. So I appreciate the both fun and funny conversations, right? That are just Mm -hmm. humorous, but then also the real and authentic conversations that allow us to grow as people, individuals, and
0: women. Absolutely. Agreed. Definitely agreed. Well, where can people reach you and how can they best support the work that you do? And I also want to make sure that you tell them about where they can get your guide, your directory.
1: Yes. All right. So they can reach me at Aspen Counseling and Wellness. And that is online at aspencw.com. I am also, of course, on social media. So that's Aspen Counseling on Instagram and Aspen Counseling um, and Wellness on Facebook. Now, the guide is being developed. And so you'll be able to find the guide on the Aspen Counseling and Wellness website. The link hasn't been provided because I'm finalizing it because I'm transitioning it from a downloadable um, social media downloadable link to something that can be scrollable web-based. So right now, um, if you go on Instagram to the Black Mental Health Guide, That's where you can find the current guide and download the current guide. And then once the link is live on my website, then you'll be able to have access to that link as well.
0: Perfect. And we'll make sure that we put all of that information in the show notes. And when the updated link is available, we'll update that as well so that people can have the most recent version. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) And most importantly, thank you so much for the work that you do is so very important. And it's, I really do hope that people start to understand the importance of, of mental health and the impact of it and that it's not just something for crazy people. It's no different than you going to get a personal trainer at the gym or you know you go into a doctor because you have a cold or anything like yep. that
1: or getting your hair done or your nails done or going you know what I mean like it's all of self that. Care. it's so fair yeah. no I appreciate it I love your podcast I'm so excited to grace the um wavelength of Dr. you like and thank you for all the good work that you're pouring into this because it's so needed
0: oh thank you all right folks that's it thank you so much for joining us and if you want to keep up with diversity be like be sure to check us out online you can like or follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at at diversity be like you can also shoot us an email at our new email address which is diversity be like at gmail.com and feel free to join the conversation using the hashtag hashtag diversity be like (laughs) until next time